this morning on Sirius XM Pac-12 Radio 373. Here's Guy Haberman and Evan Moore. Counting down to the uh, Pac-12 opener on Thursday. Become uh, somewhat traditional. ASU on Thursday night. Six days away from uh, taking on NAU. We just uh, heard Evan's thoughts on Emory Jones, and for more insight on what's up with the Sun Devils, let's welcome Hode Rubino, the publisher of DevilsDigest.com, on Twitter at Devils Digest. Good to have him back on the show. What's up, Hode? Not much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you coming back. What what um, What's at the top of the list right now, the questions for you, as you think uh, countdown to kickoff for the Sun Devils? Well, I, I really think it's uh... – to me, we're really going to come down to, to the passing game. And honestly, this time last year, uh, even even though you had a proven starting quarterback in, in Jaden Daniels and he had a wide receiver group that may not have been veteran in 2021, but at least had some experience under their belt, I felt that uh, ASU's fortunes will rise and fall on, them, on, on their passing game abilities. And I think when you look back at the 2021 season as a whole, I mean, sure, you had uh, some very frustrating issues uh, in terms of lack of discipline, uh, being, I think, the third or fourth most penalized uh, program in, in, in all of FBS as far as a big hindrance why ASU wasn't able to win more than eight games, but also thought that their passing game difficulties uh, really is, is really, really what held them back because they did have a good defense, they did have a good running game, and that was just the missing piece of the puzzle that uh, was never able to figure it out. And even though you have a plethora of new faces, obviously, especially on offense for the Sun Devils in 2022, I, I think it does still come down to their, their passing game abilities, especially when you have a, a new starting quarterback now in Emory Jones, and especially when you have a, a cast of wide receivers, which is not a lot of, lot, not a lot of experience over there and a good deal of newcomers. So to me personally, I think uh, that is the one area of the, of the program that I'm going to look at really closely for the first few weeks of the season and uh, maybe have that be an indicator for the rest of the year. So Ho, let's, let's set Emory Jones aside for a second. Obviously he was named the starter. We talked a lot about what he did at Florida on this show and, and just kind of mm-hmm. what we expect him at ASU. But as we talk about the passing game, um, my question, and you hit on it with, with some guys that were lost at receiver, probably most notably Ricky Pearsall, um, mm-hmm. Cam Johnson from Vandy comes in, Elijah Badger, who they hope you know reaches his ceiling. Andre Johnson is still there. Brian Thompson from Utah is still there. And then obviously offensive line, right? Two starters come back this year. A lot of new faces. Herm says, hey, we'll probably play eight guys because a lot of guys play dual positions so we can rotate guys through. Between those two units, offensive line and receiver, which both have plenty of question marks, which one do you think stands in the way the most for Emory Jones playing to like his highest potential this year? That's a, that's an excellent question. Uh, I still would go would go back to to, to the wide receiver group uh, because on offensive line, I mean, you're right. There's not a great deal of starters uh, coming back, but I feel when you add power five offensive linemen like like Des Holmes from Penn State, like Jerry Ramos from from Iowa State, and even if you added somebody from a low low level school like, like Emmett Bowley, mm-hmm. I still feel that by and large the offensive line is not going to be the one unit which we're going to look back. In, in December and say, yeah, this unit really, really held back the ASU offense. And I think Emory Jones, um, you know, much like, J- much like Jaden Daniels, if we're being honest about it, is very, very, very creative uh, with, with, you know, with his speed, is an excellent runner, 
And sometimes you don't need the greatest offensive line uh, to have your quarterback uh, gain, gain some yards and move the chains with his feet. So to me, again, it's just really just the, the chemistry with, with, with the wide receivers. Another player that I want to mention uh, that actually came from uh, an HBCU school, uh, Charles Hall from Virginia Union, uh, an absolute unknown in the transfer portal, but uh, somebody who uh, ASU has been really, really impressed with uh, during preseason camp, and I'm really curious to, to, to see how he does. But to me, again, it's just the, the, the whole chemistry be, be between a brand-new quarterback and the mostly uh, brand-new Kevin uh, cast of wide receivers. Uh, I, I, I just feel that that element, more than anything else, is going to be the, one of the most crucial one on offense. I also like the, the pair of running backs. And look, I mean, replacing a guy like Rashad White, who uh, is not only going to make the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers roster, he's going to be the number two running back there. shows you what huge uh, shoes you did have to fill. But uh, Xavier Valade, uh, the uh, running back transfer from Wyoming, uh, somebody who has a very accomplished uh, resume. And then Daniel Ngada, a player who didn't play that much with Rashad White uh, on the roster, but every time he he was inserted in, in, into a game, really has proven that he made uh, the, the most of it, each opportunity. I even think the running game is going to be okay. So, again, just uh, the passing game, well, we'll see how how that materializes. And, again, I, I definitely feel very strongly about uh, that group uh, being the most crucial one, not only for the ASU offense, maybe for the entire team. Yeah, I mean, new coaches around the league, we've talked about it a lot. In the sen- in the term of new coordinators, there are some as well, Glenn Thomas being one. Now, I, he, I don't think he was calling plays at UNLV previously, and I'm not sure. I, I, has he? I know he's been a coordinator or co-coordinator before. I don't, I, I don't know how extensive, you know, how many of those places he was calling plays because I know he was the coordinator at UNLV, but I think uh i don't think he called plays but please correct me if i'm wrong so what have you gotten a sense for what his what his kind of fingerprints uh might look like on on an offense yeah i mean uh, i'll admit that uh that outgoing offensive coordinator zach hill who came from boise state is an offensive coordinator that i ha- that i really felt uh confident can take this asu offense to the next level and that uh, and that simply did not happen i also felt very strongly that both Zach Hill and Jaden Daniels just just really didn't did not mesh together. And even though Jaden Daniels technically did leave after Zach Hill left the program, uh, that uh, that that wasn't really the reason why Jaden Daniels left. But uh, I just I just feel it was just not a good marriage between between quarterback and offensive coordinator. In Glenn Thomas, I see somebody who true does not come from a great program in in, in UNLV. But if you go back in his career, uh, he w- he was somebody who developed Matt Ryan for the for the um, Atlanta Falcons uh, early on in his career, and definitely somebody who does bring that uh, NFL experience, like so many coaches on the staff. And to me, what I like about Glenn Thomas is that he's just very very pragmatic with his approach. It's, it's not going uh, to be trying trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Something that I felt that happened a lot uh, under under Zach Hill. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think this is going to be a flashy offense. I think it's definitely going to be an offense that's still going to rely heavily, you know, heavily on the ground game, especially when you have a classic dual threat quarterback in in, in Emory Jones, uh, who I think can execute the read option at even a higher level than than Jaden Daniels did. But I just feel that when it comes to the passing game, he's really not going to try to just put too much on uh, on those wide receivers' plates, put too much on uh, on Emory Jones' plate, and and really just have this offense be as efficient as possible. And one thing I should mention is that I feel that tight ends are going to be extremely involved 
in the passing game. Uh, I would look specifically uh, to a guy like a Messiah Swenson, uh, 6'7", tight end transfer from Missouri. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's going to be the, the leading receiver for the Sun Devils. And I'm not saying he's going to be out there uh, hauling in 50 or more receptions uh, at, at the end of the year, but I just feel that there's going to be a lot more emphasis uh, on, the, on the tight ends uh, being an integral part of the passing game. You're going to see a lot of uh, uh, 20-21 um, alignments out there. And, and and overall, again, I just feel that Glenn Thomas that maybe does not come as a flashy offensive, offensive coordinator as Zach Hill did a couple years ago. I still think that uh, his approach uh, may be quote-unquote boring uh, compared to Zach Hill. It's still going to be one that's going to be effective and I think in potentially uh, can, can really put uh, more, more points on the board and, and maybe steal a, steal a win against a team that maybe nobody thinks ASU can actually uh, overcome. So, Hode, it's, it's interesting our discussion so far is centered around the offense. And for good reason, obviously, you know, there's a lot of new faces. They've lost receivers. They've lost offensive linemen. They've got new running backs. They've got a new quarterback that's worth talking about. But <laughs> when you look at the defensive side of the ball, I mean, a number of starters gone, including Eric Gentry and Jermaine Lalay. Um, if, you're, if you kind of loosely follow the Sun Devils and you're just a Pac-12 fan and you're looking at names that you have maybe have seen before – you look mm-hmm. at their two deep, and you're like, okay, I recognize Merlin Robertson. I, I recognize Kyle Sole. I remember, I recognize Michael Matus. But beyond that, I mean, a lot of new faces. So what, what if anything, what do you expect defensively, given, all, given kind of the exodus of talent on that side of the ball as well, including the entire secondary? Well, let's put it this way. I mean, I, I do agree with you on the, on the one point that the secondary, yes, it is going to have more new faces or, let's say, uh, least experienced players that are going to be thrust uh, in, in, into starting roles and are going to be an integral part of the two deep. I think the two exceptions would be uh, cornerback to Marcus Davis, who played a lot, even though he was playing behind uh, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones, two players that uh, have an excellent uh, chance of being in an NFL roster on opening week. And you look at safety at, at Kiwan Markham, uh, somebody who played a lot last year uh, with the absence of uh, Evan Fields uh, due to injury. But the front seven for the Sun Devils, honestly, I would put against any front seven uh, in, in the Pac-12. Uh, Michael Matusi, you mentioned, uh, did unfortunately uh, go down with the ACL injury in preseason camp, so he's not going to be available in, in, in 2022. But, but, but there's still plenty of, um, of, of experience over there. And uh, this Jade Silvera, a nose tackle from the University of Miami, uh, is, is going to be a starter. And, you know, you mentioned a guy like Jermaine Lolay. Well, let's, let's not uh, forget that Jermaine Lolay this time last year suffered his own uh, season-ending injury, and ASU was still ranked uh, the, the number one defense uh, in, in the Pac-12. And it's a defense that, ironically, even though played uh, very well and probably uh, up to the lofty expectations that were in the preseason last year, wasn't really a team that had uh, a plethora of sacks, but they were just very, very efficient in, in disrupting offenses and then and really being really be solid in the secondary. So again, I'm just more concerned about the secondary uh, secondary's abilities, uh, just because you're going to have a good number of players who don't have a lot of Pac-12 uh, game, games under the belt. But uh, but as far as the front seven, and another another player I should mention on the defensive line is a is a three technique uh, defensive tackle Omar Norman Lot, uh, somebody who did not play um, all that much in the beginning of the year, but I think for the latter part of 2021 really came on strong. And, and to me, that, that's, a, that's an X-factor player uh, right there. So I, I think, again, that the, the front seven, uh, that they will be fine. And if the secondary can maybe play above expectations, because I think the bar 
might be set by some uh, somewhat low for that program. Um, I think uh, they're going to be they're really going to be just fine. And and again, just going back to my earlier point, uh, this this is a team that I feel has a good defense and a, and a, and a good ground game. Now you just need that uh, missing piece of the puzzle for the passing game to, uh, to to match those abilities, and maybe this team can surprise them. So it sounds like you're not writing off the possibility that they could go to Oklahoma State and win. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far because I think that's uh, one hell of a test really, really early in the season, although on paper if you want to catch a top 15 uh, team maybe somewhat unprepared week one, week two, is probably the time to do that. But let's put it this way. Um, I would say a win at home against Utah is not, is not, is not going to shock me. A win at home against UCLA is, is not going to shock me. So, it, you know, it, it's a team that, like I said, just might steal, uh, you know, one game or two. But, look, uh, when you just look at um, not only the talent but the schedule, I think it's a pretty, you know, unforgiving uh, slate. Uh, first of all, the first uh, two Pac-12 games, at home against Utah, on the road against USC. Uh, that is, you know, a mini murder's row, if you will, uh, of, of games. And for an ASU team that usually does not play well on the road, to have four of their last uh, six games away from Tempe is uh, definitely a, a pretty big la- uh, landmine when you talk about really uh, trying to, you know, exceed the expectations that, that are out there in terms of in terms of the win, win-loss record. So, you know, a lot of people are going to point to the talent and think that's what's going to bring down ASU. I really look at the schedule, and I think uh, it's definitely a very, very challenging one. And for a team, again, that's trying to integrate so many new faces, especially on offense, that might be just a little too much to overcome. So I would say no to a win at Oklahoma State, but a win at home against Utah, I think it's definitely the realm of possibility. You, and you're right. I mean, the Utah SCU dub heading into the bye, that is that is brutal. That is tough. Oh, it's great talking to you, man. Uh, looking forward to the season. Have a great year. Uh, have a great uh, final uh, weekend, I guess, before the Pac-12 and the ASU <laughs> season begins. And we appreciate your time, as always. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great week.